Church, I am so glad to be with you today as we are continuing on in a sermon series called Manifold Wisdom. We're looking through this series specifically at a core text uh, for our church family. For the last seven years, as I've been honored to serve as your lead pastor, this has been a touchstone, a foundational text uh, for me and for our leadership here as we think about what our role is as leaders, what our function is in the church, as it is within the church, uh, what our uh, mission is as a church family. And we're looking at Ephesians 3 and 4 today through a, a variety of different lenses. We're looking through these different lenses uh, of our core values, things that are essential to uh, our church family. And so I want to invite you to join me today as we study together uh, portions of Ephesians 3 and 4. You're going to have uh, that text available in your handouts if you're joining us in person. For those of you all joining us online, uh, if you have a print Bible, I'd encourage you to use that. Or you can just go to Bible.com. Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 and 4, and we'll be using the Christian Standard uh, translation of the Bible today. And the question that we're going to look at today, or the value we're going to look at today, is generosity. The question that I want to encourage you to consider throughout this uh, time together is this question. What does generosity look like in your life? What does generosity look like in your life? Now, I know what you're thinking. This preacher, he just want my money. And you're absolutely right. I want your money so bad. I think on my worst days, if I, could, if I could just get you people to give me most, if not all, of your money, and I had it, if I had that in my possession, that I would be happier, I would be safer, I would be somebody. Okay? So you are correct. I do, on my worst days, I do actually want you to give me all your money. Now, I am the product of a capitalistic, individualistic, consumeristic culture, so I... I would wonder, why wouldn't I think that sometimes? I'm being told over and over and over again, you got to get more to be happy. Now, I have a sneaking suspicion as your pastor that you might be hearing these messages too. And my little spidey sense tells me that you might also feel like how I do sometimes. If I could just get more money, then I'd finally be fill in the blank. That ever happened to y'all? Ever happened to y'all? Okay, so so I need this message today, and I think maybe y'all do too. So let's look at it together as a group of people trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in real life, or trying to figure out who Jesus is. What we're going to find in today's text as we look through Ephesians three and four through this lens of generosity, we will discover that generosity and greed, its counterpart or its antithesis are matters of the heart. Deep within our heart, something's going on that begets either greed or generosity. Greed and generosity are actually just uh, symptoms of something that's going on much deeper. And so I want to invite you in, as we have this conversation around generosity, to consider your heart. Generosity is a matter of the heart, as is greed. So we're going to take a look here, and, and by the way, I want to invite y'all, um, we've restructured our formatting on Sundays uh, to help facilitate uh, our church family getting around tables, or at least in smaller group gatherings. I know uh, that the best discipleship comes through dialogue, not monologue, and guess what this is? Monologue. This is just me up here talking, which I 
am, uh, uh, I find valuable, otherwise I wouldn't do it. I love singing together, I love uh, taking communion together, I love praying together, but that's only half of it, right? So when we uh, gather in smaller settings, we are in a position to be able to connect with one another more deeply and to connect our faith with re- in real life. We can like hash it out. And so I'd invite y'all uh, to join uh, one of the groups. We've got a bunch of them going on, uh, actually kicking off next week. Some of our rooted groups are going to be kicking off as well as a few more. You can check out your bulletin for more information on those groups that are meeting now or coming up. Uh, but uh, what I'm hosting at 11 o'clock in this room uh, each week is a sermon question and response. So you can text in questions or arguments or insults, whatever you want, and you can text it in and I will respond to the best of my ability at that time together. We've been doing this for the last three or four weeks. I've had a, I, I love it and I would invite you all. So we'll just meet right in here. So at, at like when we conclude this time together, um, you just go on out, grab a, a, a coffee, grab a, a, a snack, and then join me back here at 11 or join one of the other amazing uh, smaller groups and gatherings and studies that are meeting around campus at 11. But if you want to do the, the, the sermon Q&R, you can, uh, you can text the questions to the number on the screen. Uh, it's also available in your uh, handout, kind of, I think, right in the middle. So I'd love to respond to your questions, especially on this topic, because there's so much confusion around, like, what religious tradition says about what our, um, our consumeristic culture preaches at us all the time. And so I'd love to have that opportunity with you. And so you can just text in those uh, questions, and then I'll respond to them at the Q&R. One of the things that we're going to discover is that generosity is a matter of the heart. So in Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. Uh, It's a a cosmopolitan city. It's uh, the third largest city, from what we can tell, in the uh, Roman Empire at the time. So there's a ton of money. Uh, There's a lot of industry. And Paul is writing to this group. Uh, uh, showcasing them how the manifold wisdom of God is made known through the church. And we're going to look through the lens of generosity. So just to start, notice this. For this reason, Paul says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, Ethnon, and I've intentionally uh, done this transliteration, which is Basically, we're just going to keep the Greek word in there because usually that word gets translated as Gentiles and who uses the word Gentile in their normal everyday life? Okay, so the reason I've left it there, one of us, thank you very much, Pete. Uh, uh, the reason that I've left it in there is because actually, it actually sounds like a word that we actually use. The word is ethnicity. So ethnos or uh, ethnon or ethnicity, these are all forms of the word that we would uh, translate as ethnicity or to put it another way, identifiable people group. It's just people groups, right? So the word that often gets translated uh, is either Gentile or nations uh, is just peoples. And usually it's people different from us. That's how the word will get used. So it's a prisoner of Christ for the sake of all y'alls, right? All y'all people groups. If indeed you have heard of the, notice the language here. What does he say right here? The stewardship of what? God's grace, right there on the table. Okay, so stewardship, that's kind of an interesting word. And let me just give it to you real quick. The idea of stewardship is this idea, that everything is ultimately God's. That God created everything. So the food we eat, the money we make, the clothes we wear, at the end of the day, it ultimately belongs to God. So stewardship is this concept of, instead of ownership, where I say, this is mine, 
I say, no, this is God's gift to me, and I steward it well. So the idea of stewardship is recognizing that the things I have, or the, 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 whether that's my time, my energy, my resources, uh, power, whatever it might be, it's a gift to me from God that ultimately is God's, therefore I'm to steward it well. Let's put it another way. How am I using my resources? Am I using my resources according to the values of the owner or according to the values of the steward? Because when the values of the steward disconnect from the values of the owner, we've got a big problem, don't we? And so what God does is God gifts us these good gifts and then says, ultimately these belong to me, but I'm going to gift them to you, and I want you to use them according to my values. And so Paul here is saying that he uh, is going to be the steward of this message of God's grace to all the nations. But I wanted to tease this out because stewardship is also how we approach any good thing from God, including, you're never going to guess, your money honey, right? Including our money. At the end of the day, a steward has the mind that ultimately the money is not mine. The good gift is ultimately God's, right? So there it is. So the stewardship which God has given uh, to me for you, by revelation, there is made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. He goes on in chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 5. To be specific, that all the other people groups, all the nations, are fellow heirs and partakers, excuse me, and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. What he's saying is this, is all the people groups are part of God's family. And we're all inheritors of God's good gift, of which I was made a minister or a servant according to the, notice this word. What's that word right there? The gift of God's grace. Do you know, and just, just uh, what's a gift? You guys ever got one? Who's gotten a gift before? Okay, everyone look around, and the person who has not, let's make sure, get them a gift. Okay, so when you receive a gift, right, the gift is given. The gift giver wants it for you, for your delight, for your flourishing, right? It's a good gift. But it's different than a transaction. It's not a purchase, Right? It's not a good that I purchased. It's a gift that someone gave to me. And here's this. Here, I just want to t- t- tie this all together. Watch this now. You know that word grace? Y'all ever heard that word before? Like we say, like before a meal, sometimes y'all might feel the compulsion to say Okay? Um, notice this. The word grace can also be translated as gift. Charis, the word, uh, the word charis, it's, it's gift. So if you've ever heard of like uh, uh, charisma or charismatic, right? This idea of charis, this idea of gift giving, right? That grace, that God's grace is in its very essence a what? It's a gift, okay? So it's something given to us. Just notice how frequently the Apostle Paul will leverage this language of gift, okay? He's He's putting in front of you that God's love, God's very self enfleshed in Jesus is a gift. Okay, so God's relationship with us through the personal work of Jesus Christ is a, is it something we can purchase? Come with me now. Is it something that if we do enough good, then God will give it to us? 
Then if we did that, if we had this idea of if I just try hard enough, if I'm just generous enough, if I just do enough good things, then God would love me. Is that a gift? No, that's earning, right? That's a, that's a transaction. But here we see the Apostle Paul telling us, like screaming at us, God's love for you is freely given. So let's just pause right there. Let's pause on this thought. That God's love for you is freely given to you as a what? Gift. So just pause for a minute, okay? So if you would please just uh, close your eyes. We're not going to do anything weird. Just want to draw our attention to this moment. Okay. What does it look like for you to live day by day, moment by moment, knowing? that God is showering you with his love, with his peace, with his goodness, with his mercy as a gift. All right. Might living day by day, moment by moment, knowing, that God showers us with this good gifts, might that have any implication on how we therefore live? I hope so. I hope so. The gift of God's grace was given. This, just notice this. I mean, Paul is on fire here. Check this out. This grace was given to preach to the, all the nations the unfathomable riches of Christ. Okay, so let me just, what does it mean for you to receive freely the unfathomable riches of Christ? To day by day, moment by moment, be connected to this deep reality that God loves you, that God delights in you, that God has out of joy, given himself for you. That he has, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, conquered over Satan's sin and death and delights to call you to be in relationship with him. The unfathomable riches of Christ. He goes on in verse 10. He does all this, this living this out, so that the manifold or diverse of various kinds wisdom of God might be made known through the church. That all the people uh, all the ethnos, all the different people groups experiencing the unfathomable riches of Christ would be brought together in the church and then a bunch of misfits who are bound together not by our common affinities but by the unfathomable riches of Christ would be bound together. Through the church, God puts on display his diverse or manifold or multifaceted wisdom. Check this out. This actually works. I'm here to tell y'all, this actually works. I'm going to tell you one story. One year ago tomorrow, this church family made the front page of the New York Times. I bought some copies. <laughs> we, and it was for a good thing. 
which I feel like we're, we're two for two. I mean, A, we were in the paper. B, that's pretty cool. So, so we were in the front page of the New York Times. You know what caused us to be in the front page of the New York Times? We took an offering. Uh, when the U.S. military was pulling out of Afghanistan, we were hearing things that, oh, there's going to be some a- a- Afghan refugees coming possibly to Phoenix, because in Phoenix we place a lot of refugees. And uh, uh, Governor Ducey said, we want to welcome refugees here. And we knew that there would, be, uh, there, there would be a financial need, but we didn't know what that looked like yet. So we just, we just in faith, took an offering for over the four weeks, and I think we mentioned it a moment ago. Uh, y'all raised $25,000 that we were able to invest in caring for refugees as they came. Now, for me, and I think for some of us, we're like, well, that's just what you do. Like, for Jesus followers, that's kind of what we do. But to an onlooking world, it was mind-blowing. In fact, I remember talking to the journalist, uh, Miriam, who was very kind, and she's just a brilliant writer. And she was like, okay, hold on. What's your vested interest (laughs) in this? And I'm like, we're we're literally just going to give it to a a local organization. No, 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 but but like, like, what do you have to gain? And I was like, could I talk to you about Jesus, right? Like, I'm, <laughs> right? So I'm like, no, no, you like the heart of the gospel. Okay, so listen to this. Check this out now. I made the front page of the New York Times, okay? And if I sound a little braggadoche, I am, okay? I'm, proud, I'm, I'm so proud of y'all, okay? So this was bl- like Miriam, the, the, new, the journalist, it's blowing her mind. She does, and then, here's, the, here's the for shame part. She's like, wait, you guys are evangelical. And she straight up said, I thought y'all were against stuff like this. Ooh, right? And I'm like, can I talk to you about Jesus? Okay? Because listen, I get it, right? When the church does it wrong, the manifold of wisdom of God is not on display. But when the church does it right, we were in the paper I get a phone call from somebody I'd never met. No, the church got a voicemail. Hey, this is so-and-so. Uh, I want to talk to someone about what I just read in the paper. I'm like, okay. So I, I was like, you know what? Uh, let me take the call. I'll, I'll figure out what it is. So I call the person back, and they're like, listen, I'm not a church person. I think I've been to one church in my whole life when my aunt dragged me as a kid. I'm a religious uh, tourist. And I'm not, you know, I'm just so surprised by what you guys are doing, I want to send y'all a check. And I was like, no, no, listen, let me just give you the name of the organization. You send them a check. No, 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 I want to send you a check. I was like, okay. Caleb Campbell or the church, right? (laughs) I said, you know what? Um, Just $1,000. Great. Cool, thanks. Had a great chat on one condition that when I'm in Phoenix next, so this person spends half their time in Phoenix, half their time in another state, and when I'm in Phoenix next, I want to shake your hand. And I was like, a $1,000 handshake? (laughs) So, sure thing, right? I'm driving away, or I I think I was in my car when I got the text, hey, great talk, rah, 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 Um, let's make it 2,500. Cool, great, awesome. So, some time goes by, I meet this person. For 15 minutes, we talk about caring for refugees. They're, they're still trying to get their minds around, like, why would you give all this money to care for people you've never met before? Uh, why would an evangelical church give freely to Afghan refugees? And so we're talking through all of that. And then near the end of the conversation over tacos, praise the Lord, over tacos, we were talking about 
uh, care for refugees. And then this person, this individual said, hey, can we shift the conversation? Can I ask you about Jesus? This person said, you know, I've been watching, since we talked a few weeks ago, I've been watching these videos uh, of the sermons, of these talks that you give. And I was like, they're called sermons, sir. <laughs> talk, this isn't a TED talk. I'm not, you know, Steve Jobs. I don't give a talk. Okay, so anyways, so I've been watching the talks, and uh, you, you brought up something about, like, the kingdom of God and how that's different than all the stuff that we see in, like, politics today and how, like, what Jesus teaches is what you called an upside-down kingdom, like where we're always trying to grab for crowns, Jesus takes the crown of thorns, and where, where we're always grabbing for the sword, Jesus uh, takes on the cross. Could you talk to me more about that? And I'm like, dude, I have to go to a meeting. I'm so, <laughs> we spend an hour, right? We're talking about, and l- literally, friends, like it's straight up gospel. It's, let me tell you all about Jesus. This is why I follow Jesus. He's asking so many good questions like, well, how do you trust the Bible? And I'm like, well, you know, and, and how do, what do you think about this crazy thing? I'm like, that is crazy. And what do you think about this thing? And, and, and then we get down to, and, and so I'm thinking, okay, so, I, so Lord, I'm praying through this whole time. Lord, what's going to happen next? And you know, this person said, um, they said, uh, so what does a person do if I want to follow Jesus? We started the conversation with an ambiguously defined person, and then we got to, I think I might want to do that. And I was like, you want to come to church on Sunday? I'll be doing a talk about Jesus. (laughs) And they did. And three months later, I got the news. I actually was right before I left for sabbatical, so I didn't know what happened to him. And three months later, I got uh, an update that this man had been part of one of our rooted groups and prayed for the first time in the rooted group. And I got back from sabbatical, and this person's now uh, part of our church. So the... So again, so when we're living the grace of God in all aspects of life, okay, with our, how we talk, with how we act, with how we think, with how we behave, with how we invest our resources, the manifold wisdom of God is on display to the whole world. So living generously is one expression of putting the manifold wisdom of God on display. Paul goes on, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according, there it is, the riches of his glory, to be strengthened in power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in, what is it, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, right, that unfathomable nature of Christ's riches, And that you would know experientially the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, how much? Far more abundantly all that we ask or think. TV timeout. One of the things that often will get in the way of a life of generosity is a mindset that there will not be enough, so I've got to take mine. And I'm not talking about foolishness, okay? There's a wisdom and planning and saving and all of that. 
But the scarcity mindset of a consumeristic, individualistic culture, it creeps in so easily where we would say things like this, I'll be generous when I have enough. But let me tell you, there never is enough. There ain't never going to be enough because the matter, the issue does not reside in your pocketbook or your bank account. The matter of generosity is a matter of the heart and a heart that overflows with the love of God, when we, when we recognize that the fullness, the unfathomable depth of Christ's love for us fills up our hearts, generosity, therefore, then, is an expression of that. Not a means to earn God's favor, but rather an expression, an outward expression of something that's going on in here. By the way, generosity is not about how many zeros are at the end of the check. Jesus consistently showed us that it was often those who had very little means who had the most generous hearts. And you know who he gave caution to the most? Pastors. (laughs) Pastors and... People who own vehicles. Pardon me, let me put that another way. The rich. The wealthy. The people of means. The people who didn't have to worry about where their next meal was going to come from. You see, when we define wealth by where I sit in the pecking order of the people I'm looking at, we're always not wealthy, right? But if we look at how Jesus defines wealth, we find that for the majority of us, every day we have need and he provides for it. That every day that our needs are met shows that he can provide far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And so when we find ourselves in this space of saying, I will be generous when there's enough, I just want to confront that, there ain't never going to be enough, Right? To make our hearts satisfied, to have our hearts feeling the fullness of Christ, there will not be enough. And so waiting for enough is not the right posture, or at least not the most healthy posture. Rather, turning to Jesus, who is able to do far more abundantly be all than we can ask of him or think. And so there's this great song. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. So has the Lord, just pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. Has the Lord been faithful to provide for you? So his abundant love is in our hearts and we're seeing that he can do all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. And then we get to, down to it. He gave some to be apostles. Here you get to the pastor's piece. Some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For the, and this is the job of church leadership, equipping of the saints. Guess who that is, folks? Not the ones in New Orleans. The saints is us, is followers of Jesus. Now, there are followers of Jesus on the saints. So, okay, fam, we're, we're good. Okay, I'm looking out. The equipping of the saints for the work of what? Now, let's get right down to it. Do you see the word? 
the, the role of us collectively in putting the manifold wisdom of God on display through the unified group of misfits centered around Jesus, when we no longer posture our hands like this, but rather like this, we put on display the manifold wisdom of God through what is sometimes referred to as ministry, which is just another word for service. Jesus said that if you want to be a leader in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant to all. If you want to be the first, then you will take the posture of the last. The king of kings knelt and washed his disciples' feet, taking on the posture of a servant. So we're to be equipped for the work of which is at the heart of generosity. The building up of the body of Christ. Let's keep going. As a result, so notice this. As a result of this being equipped to do the work of service, we will no longer be what? Children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. What goes on, you don't have to answer me out loud, but what goes on in here when things are not good out there? What goes on in here when things are not good out there? What goes on in here when the stock market's not good? What goes on in here when my 401k is on the low ebb? What goes on in here when the check engine light comes on? And I think, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. What goes on in here when leaders out there tell you that the world is falling apart? What goes on in here when people create anxiety and rage by their words in the community? What goes on in here when things are not good out there. If we are not anchored in Jesus and his unfathomable love for us, we will be carried away by every wave, every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And we will be knocked back and forth by these figures or talking heads or certain media. We will be knocked around by people who tell us that there's never going to be enough. We'll be knocked around by people who tell us that we have each other to fear. We'll be knocked around constantly by people telling us and scheming for our almighty dollar. Do you know that I have lived in a time where this country went to war and our leader told me that the best thing I could do is buy stuff. That if we could just get out there. Now, I'm not talking about, I, I'm not an economist. Maybe that is. As a pastor, I kind of was thinking the best thing we could do is, and, sir, I didn't, right? <laughs> so, it's, so it's in the water. And so it's so easy to be knocked around by every wave and wind of deceitful scheming. 
But if we're truly rooted and anchored in love, specifically Christ's love for us, we will no longer be. Follow me now. You guys ever heard the words, um, a mature Christian? Okay, let me tell you, if you've never heard it, here's what people uh, should mean by the word mature Christian. I'm exactly like Jesus. Which makes me concerned when people say, I'm a mature Christian, and I look at their Facebook. (laughs) Now, we can get close to fullness of Christ. We can get closer and closer, but we never arrive. But we can become solid, rooted and grounded. Check this out. So we don't live with the, according to the futility of our mind, becoming becoming callous, Un, come on, hard-hearted towards the needs of our neighbor. A heart full of the love of Christ is a heart full of love for his creation. One of the greatest cautions for me is to just begin to notice when I feel my heart hardening towards an image bearer of God. That is not coming from a heart that's overflowing with the fullness of Christ. We give ourselves over, apart from Jesus, to sensuality for the, pra- you know, if I want it, I get it. I've got this itch, let me buy that thing so I can scratch it. For the practice of every kind of impurity, notice this. And so, we lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. It's so easy to be deceived. And it will be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new self, which is in the... So am I looking like Jesus? Then being created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Watch this now. He who steals, Paul gets to application. He who steals, do what? Does this mean deceiving the IRS on my tax filings? Hmm. He said that out loud. But rather, they must labor, performing with their own hands what is good. And as industrial people, we say, that's right, everyone should work. Hmm? Ah, to what end? So they will have something to share. With whom? You see this in the earliest expressions of Jesus' followers. They would gather in homes, not big buildings like this. They would gather in homes and they would each bring a gift of food item or a teaching or a prayer or a blessing. And at that table, all different types of people would sit, wealthy, poor, slave, free, Greek, Jew, barbarian, all insiders and outsiders were all at this unified table. And as part of this great feast, they made sure that no one went hungry. They made sure that everyone had according to their need. You know what else they would do? when there was a large need that arose in the community, somebody would voluntarily say, hey, I worked really hard for this uh, table. I think I'm gonna sell this table so I can give to our brother and sister who are in need. 
Now, how we do that as a church family, oh my goodness, this needs wisdom and long-suffering and grace and compassion, but let's just go back to it. That a generous heart is rooted in the unfathomable love of Jesus. That early church, they were sharing, not saying, hey, there might be a famine tomorrow, so I'm going to keep and hoard. They were sharing, recognizing, no, all I have needed, his hand is provided. Jesus has been so good to me. He will continue to be good to me, and so I'm going to live open-handed. And that expression was at this feast. And there's a hint of it today. That feast, over time and in different cultures, began to be expressed as what we now call communion or Lord's table. When we take of the bread and we take of the fruit of the vine, we are connecting to an ancient feast in which Jesus is at the center. And when we take of that bread and we take of that fruit of the vine, we're experiencing part of this feast, this meal at the table that Jesus has set. And at the table that Jesus sets, all are welcome and no one has need. 